Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CSCS Beat, More Than Just Matters of the Heart. My name is Ansar Hassan, and I'm the president of the Canadian Society of Cardiac Surgeons. And on the CSCS Beat, we sit down and chat with some of the thought leaders across Canada and beyond and talk all things cardiac surgery. Last time, we focused on cardiac surgical trainees and some of the issues that they face as they travel through their training journey. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, please do. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube. Now, before we begin, I would like to thank Edwards Life Sciences for working with us on this podcast series. Please note that any surgical techniques discussed herein are the techniques used by the respective medical professionals. Edwards Life Sciences does not endorse any particular surgical technique. Expert opinions and advice represent the medical professional's views and not necessarily those of Edwards Life Sciences or the CSCS. On this podcast, we're going to be switching gears, and we'll be talking about the evolution of perioperative critical care in cardiac surgery and its growth as a true subspecialty in the field of cardiac surgery. Historically, and I hate to say this, I've been around long enough to actually have seen this, the cardiac surgeon managed his or her own patient from the time of surgery to throughout their stay in the ICU and ultimately to the point of discharge from hospital. As patients became more complex, their post-operative care required more refined expertise, which often meant the introduction of other specialists, such as intensivists, to partake in the management of cardiac surgical patients. Invariably, this led to the age-old debate of who should be managing our patients in the ICU. Should it be cardiac surgeons who do not necessarily have cardiac surgical intensive care training, or should be intensivists who are more apt to be able to look after these people? We are very fortunate today to be joined by three cardiac surgical colleagues of mine who chose to look at this question in a very different way. Why must cardiac surgeons necessarily be excluded from the critical care management of their patients? Why can't cardiac surgeons also train to be experts in critical care so that they may be front and center in the management of cardiac surgical patients? In essence, who better to manage the critically ill patients who've undergone cardiac surgery than cardiac surgeons themselves, who have an intimate knowledge with the conduct of the procedure, as well as the subtle nuances of their care postoperatively? Dr. Rakesh Arora completed his residency in cardiac surgery at Dalhousie University, just a couple of years ahead of me. He was the first cardiac surgery resident to then go and complete a critical care fellowship at the University of Calgary before joining the University of Manitoba as an attending cardiac surgeon. He spent nearly 16 years there, including time as the section head of cardiac surgery before moving on to Cleveland, Ohio, where he is the director of perioperative and cardiac critical care and a research director in the Division of Cardiac Surgery at University Hospitals, Harrington Heart and Vascular Institute. In addition to having served also as the president of the CSCS between 2020 and 2022, he was pivotal in co-founding CanCare, the Canadian Cardiovascular Critical Care Society. Rakesh, thank you for joining us. Dr. Yoann Lamarche trained in cardiac surgery at the Université de Montréal, followed by a dual fellowship in critical care medicine and in surgery at the University of British Columbia. He also obtained a master's in biomedical science focusing on pulmonary hypertension after cardiopulmonary bypass and the use of inhaled pulmonary vasodilators in the perioperative period. His main clinical interests are systems of critical perioperative care for high-risk patients, simulation in the critical care setting, mechanical cardiac support, and heart failure surgery. He is a founding member and past president of the Canadian Cardiovascular Critical Care Society. Yoann, thanks for joining us. Finally, Dr. Gurmeet Singh received his MD from the University of Alberta, his master's also in experimental surgery at the University of Alberta, and as well his residency in cardiac surgery from the University of Alberta. 
He followed this with a fellowship in cardiac transplantation and heart failure surgery, as well as mechanical circulatory support at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. He further trained in critical care medicine and echocardiography at the University of Calgary. He is an associate clinical professor of critical care medicine and cardiac surgery at the University of Alberta, medical director of the adult ECMO program, and attending intensivist in the cardiovascular intensive care unit at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. And he is the current president of the Canadian Cardiovascular Critical Care Society. We're very fortunate to have you, Gurmeet. Thanks for joining us. All right. Well, let's get started. Rakesh, I'm going to start with you. We've known each other for a long time. What made you think to pursue critical care as a fellowship after completing your residency? Hey, Hanser. Thanks very much for including me in this really great podcast. So you know, it's an interesting question of where this all started. And I think with you and I both sharing a pedigree from the Dalhousie cardiac surgery program, you, you, you're aware of how we were all <laughs> expected to manage these very complex patients at a very early stage in our career of a residency training. And it became obvious through the training that one, there were things that we did very well as cardiac surgeons in the first few days, particularly in the first number of hours after a cardiac procedure based on our training and understanding of the physiology of a patient who's just undergone cardiac surgery, cardiopulmonary bypass. But beyond that, when the patient became much more multi-system, and as we start introducing new mechanical circulatory support devices like ECMO and VADS and so forth, it became obvious, at least to me and probably similar you around, around this virtual table, that there was a need for additional expertise and focus on these complex patients that really wasn't in cardiac surgery training and also really wasn't in critical care training, at least the people that we had the opportunities to work with at that stage. So seeing a gap in a possible niche where we could provide benefit to patients was really the, if I'm being honest, a selfish need to go try to figure this out. I didn't really know if it worked out to be a career or not, but I thought it was worthwhile pursuing. And as it's turned out over the last two to three decades, patients are getting older and sicker and more complex. And their use of mechanically circuit systems only increases to rise. And I think very thankfully it's, it's, it's worked out well in terms of having the ability to provide some insights and provide research and knowledge in this space over the last 20 years. I really didn't know any of this would work out. I, I had to get a special ruling from the college because initially when I went in, they had no idea what to do with me. They didn't know, why would you do this? Just go operate. Uh, and so I had to convince them this was something worthwhile. And uh, I, I guess in that sense, I helped, I helped uh, uh, break the mold a little bit from the traditional intensivist. Well, I would say you definitely have. And I mean, I, I think trailblazer and pioneer are a couple of words that can be used to aptly describe you. And and others who at that time kind of engaged in this. I mean, you're absolutely right. When you think about it, it still remains a huge gap, you know, in the care of our cardiac surgical population. Mm -hmm. For some reason, as cardiac surgeons, a lot of us are still resistant to the concept of, you know, appropriate critical care management of critically ill patients. And it's, it's surprising. I mean, all the work that you've done, I mean, up until this point, and we'll get into some of that a little bit later, you know, has really just been truly transformational. So, let me let me go to Yuan now for a second. I mean, you and Rakesh co-founded, you know, CanCare, the Canadian Cardiovascular Critical Care Society. And and by the way, this can be found on the web at www.cancaresociety.com. When you when you two kind of put this together, when you brainstormed this in the in the back rooms of a hotel at probably one of our meetings, what were you what were you hoping to accomplish? Thanks for for asking, Ansar. It's a it, it's 
It's a great adventure, but initially our, our thought was to bring together cardiovascular specialists with interest for critical care. Not just cardiac surgeons, but everyone with cardiovascular training taking care of critical patients. So including cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, intensivists, but also allied care, allied healthcare uh, specialists that could help those very unique and special group of patients. Our plan was to create a forum to exchange, foster research, share clinical practice and teaching endeavors. And the topics we thought of initially were cardiogenic shock, mechanical support, perioperative critical care, but also pathways of care, including perioperative care, but also patients earlier on in the process, sometimes leading to surgery, but with acute coronary syndromes and requiring support for other acute cardiac pathology. So this was primarily our, our, our initial process. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, I mean, I don't know if it's officially the 15th anniversary of the founding of CanCare. Let's, let's say it is for the purposes of this. It's pretty close. I, I, I mean, that's, and, and, and it's still viable. You know, it, it's, it's a great organization. It's still viable. And, and, I, I, and actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch over to Gurmeet to kind of speak to this a little bit. You know, as the current president of CanCare, Gurmeet, you've seen this organization evolve considerably to the point where I think it possessed, honestly, one of the most substantial footprints at this year's Canadian Cardiovascular Congress or Vascular Congress 2023. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and, and, and how were you able to accomplish that? Well, thanks, Ansar, for uh, having me as part of this conversation with, you know, our friends and the, explaining our journey. L let me take it back a, a little bit before answering your question specifically about Vascular 2023. You know, when this journey started, there was a substantial personal funds that were put in by several of us and more by some than others, uh, Johan. And we did it because there was a mission there. And it started off that the initial interests in CanCare came from a lot of the allied healthcare providers who were seeing these patients in their perioperative states, whether they were unstable going to surgery or coming out of the operating room. And then the natural evolution, as Ansar has explained, really came from the things that we do. The things that we do were suddenly starting to gain traction in other environments in the cardiovascular community greater awareness. There was some literature coming out around this. And people became more interested in what we had always done. And that was kind of part of the natural evolution. When you look at what happened during vascular, I, I would say for the last several years, and we had a little bit of challenge with the pandemic, of course, as everybody did. But over the last several years, I think CanCare has punched above its weight in terms of content contribution. And it happened this year, I think, somewhat organically, but somewhat strategically. We have partnerships that extend outside of just cardiac surgery into cardiologists who deal with heart failure, advanced heart failure, and shock patients, surgeons, We've had participants from the congenital cardiac side in the past, echo, of course, interventional, transplant. And after our recent impact, based on all of these people's input, it's really these folks, I take into heart the message that we started to try to promulgate, and it's sort of 
disseminated widely. And so we have lots and lots of partners and lots and lots of collaboration because of that. So it's grown somewhat organically and there's a lot of credit to trainees and to other practitioners who who absorb what we've been trying to preach. Yeah, no, it's beautifully said. And I think, I mean, we'll touch a little bit about the cardiology interaction later on, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just the, the rooms in which CanCare was leading the workshops, it was just humming and buzzing. And I, I mean, and it speaks to the to the need, obviously, once again, that, you know, the likes of Rakesh and Yuan identified many, many, many years ago, as well as you. All right. So, Yuan, I mean, as past president of CanCare, uh, and as, as obviously one of the co-founders of CanCare, did you ever imagine 15 years later that critical care would have this much reception or recognition at the national level? It's a good question, Ansar. I found CSCS and CCS were, were visionary early on to provide us with help and support, recognizing the need for that forum to be able to exchange on critical care patients on a national level. I honestly think that this space from our two organizations was instrumental in the rise of the cardiac critical care specialist in Canada. It's great to see it after so many years that we have trainees year after year from cardiology background and cardiac surgery background that join the force and bring new ideas to the table. So it's a great surprise. But as Rakesh pointed out earlier, we didn't know it would work. We just thought it 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 meant something and it it would be useful and now seeing the full rooms it, it definitely does i you know i i want to build on that just a little bit i think your point yolette is incredibly important that through we had our initial voice through the cscs visionaries such as uh, louis perot viv rao really gave us an opportunity to kind of spread our wings and submit workshops at our national meeting through through them and I, you know, when I, I would say when we did our first workshop, I think it was 2009, maybe 2010, 2009, I think, at CCC, that I, I was pretty sure at that point we got something right. It was pretty clear that the room was full. They didn't know what they were walking into. But by the time they left that room, you could tell a lot of people really nodding their heads and we had something. I was pretty confident they were on the right track. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, you know, when you think about the numerous shock days and and debates and all of those things that we've had over the years, I mean, Everyone walks out of those rooms and they've learned something. It's it's applicable to all of us. It's it's what we do. It's just that we never really recognize it with that much vigor and rigor once upon a time. All right, let's move outside of Canada for a second. And let's talk about this concept of cardiac surgical critical care in the United States and beyond. I think from chairing an STS workforce on critical care to leading a double ATS perioperative care program, championing dedicated perioperative and critical care sections in the annals, as well as the JTCVS. I don't think anyone can really underestimate the impact that you had, Rakesh, on the proliferation of cardiac surgical critical care, you know, beyond Canada and internationally. T- tell us a little bit about that journey. I know, you know, you're, you're a humble person and I mean, I don't want you to <laughs> feel like, but I mean, this, this, this is a big deal. I mean, you, look, you entered some of these organizations that honestly are, are very rigid in tradition and foundation, you know, like in, in how they, how they behave. So, you know, I've often wondered, like, you know, were, were they, were like the SDSs and the double ATSs like largely receptive or were, was there resistance? Yeah. So it's an interesting question I get, as you're right, there's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than talking about myself for the most part, but I, I have to give other people key credit. So Nevin Katz, who uh, is cardiac surgeon and really started fax care 
which was their first standalone cardiac critical care meeting. Because it's 20 years old now. So it would have started in 2004, just as I was in parallel starting my critical care residency. So Nevin Katz, Glenn Whitman at Hopkins also have been real pioneers and, and opinion leaders in this for a while. Nevin really was uh, responsible for starting the, the perioperative section at the JTCVS, of whom very kindly handed over to me a few years ago as AAE. Our current editor-in-chief for the annals, Joanne Chickway, has sought to mirror that with Dan Engelman now as a perioperative editor. So really, I think it's been a really cool journey from starting what was initially a half-day symposium at the STS to having presence at both meetings. And over the past several years that myself and Glenn Whitman and others have been part of, it's now really almost an equal footprint at both the WATS and the STS in terms of content. So there's really been an embracing of the need for this particular knowledge stuff to be created at, at our meetings. And the rooms, generally speaking, are pretty full. And I, I think, again, much like what we've done in CanCare, that it's multidisciplinary. So we're getting those who are intensivists early in their career, late in their career, and surgeons who practice in a unit where it's an open-style unit, their allied health team members and so forth have really had an increasing presence at both our national meetings in the U.S., both the AATS and the STS. So it's been a really cool journey to see this evolve over time and really now be an integral part of both programs. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people now who take for granted that critical care was always a part of, you know, the annals and, and the JTCBS, but it wasn't always the case. So, you know, there's been huge progress on that front. All right, Yoan. Tell me a little bit about where does ERAS or enhanced recovery after surgery or cardiac surgery specifically fit into all of this? I mean, for those who are listening and who are maybe less familiar with the concept of ERAS, maybe you can maybe educate us on ERAS a little bit and how it's been really used to improve outcomes following cardiac surgery and how CanCare has kind of co-opted some of that. Well, most, most cardiac surgery patients have a normal evolution after cardiac surgery. They look very sick. Once they come out of the OR, they're ventilated, they have vasopressors, inotropes. But a team that's well instrumented to identify patients that have that normal evolution may make those patients evolve very quickly to get them back to being an independent human being. So this is what ARAX is about. It's basically being able to identify early tricks that will make the patient sick for a shorter period of time. And it goes from preparing them adequately for surgery, doing workout, stopping smoking before surgery, having adequate glucose control, walking to the OR table, not having to, to, to fast for 24 hours before surgery, but just two hours prior, and then have the best practice during the operation and then decrease the amount of intensive care as early as possible once the patients recuperate. And that gets the patients out of the hospital early with better satisfaction, better independence, back home, and not coming back to your emergency room for problems in the month or months following. Yeah, I mean, it's really not just about critical care, is it? Really, it's about the entire perioperative period. And I think that that's that starts well before the operation, continues during the operation, but extends well beyond the operation. And I think that's what this is really all about. And once again, up until this point, I think surgeons have always sort of traditionally been focused on the procedures and how to best perform a procedure. 
But now we're realizing that, you know, while procedures may have changed to some extent, it's a perioperative management of these patients that has changed to a greater extent that have afforded us the better results that we're seeing. And that's what's so critically important. All right, Gurmeet, back to you. I think I think you 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 gave them a bit of a shout out earlier, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't give out a sh- a shout out to the cardiologist intensivists who now make up a very important part of can care for the likes of Sean Van Diepen at the University of Alberta to Greg Schnell at the University of Calgary and on and on and on. And you can mention some of the others too. I think what started really as a surgical society has kind of really spun off into a heart team model concept where all cardiovascular disciplines are being increasingly represented. Tell us a little bit about this evolution and how do you see this kind of going forward? You know, I think what really moved the needle, honestly, was the publication from the United States that showed the interest that cardiologists and directors had in creating what, not just CCUs, but cardiac ICUs, CICUs, and laying out sort of guidelines for what would consider you know what be considered tier one tier two and tier three sort of units and coverages and what sort of skill sets those practitioners should have in order to be able to provide the best kind of care for those patients for those of us who you know worked in cardiac surgery that evolution was somewhat more natural you'll recall it in the early days Joan and Rakesh published a a survey about practices of models of care around the country. And that evolution happened somewhat more organically. I think the catalyst in the United States was that publication. And so that just was very easy to cross the border, as you can imagine. And so now patients who are very acutely ill in CICUs have a group of practitioners who can rely upon some guidelines and some standards, if you will, that would hold their units to certain levels of care. And that just grew interest. And so when the directors of CICUs were trying to come together, a real conscious effort was made by CanCare and by many individuals around this uh, table to actually speak to these folks and say, listen, is there really any sense in setting up another smaller unit? Because you heard earlier from us all that you know, the vision was always to cover the whole spectrum of perioperative cardiac care. You'll notice it's not the Canadian cardiovascular surgical ICU, right? It's the cardiovascular critical care unit that, you know, it's can care. And the idea is to encompass the whole spectrum of cardiovascular disease, not just intraoperative or postoperative. It's all perioperative. But there's a lot of patients who don't need surgery. They need other things. Maybe it's just medical care. Maybe it's interventions. Maybe it's CRTD devices. So it was a very natural home for them, we felt. And I think they understood that the vision that we were trying to promote was exactly that, that it wasn't just you know a handful of surgeons who had done critical care trying to grow an empire. This was really about what's best for patients. And that also, and it seems so intuitive to say this now, Ansar, that also was the way we were practicing medicine. When people started to introduce shock teams and heart teams, maybe we didn't have it labeled as such. Maybe it wasn't branded in that same way. But certainly our institution, it was always a multidisciplinary conversation about what the best next moves are for this 
very, very sick patient. So it was a very natural evolution. Yeah, totally. And I think it, it's grown beautifully, you know, from that standpoint. And it's great that we often share, you know, panel space together at these meetings and 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 on and on papers, et cetera, because I think that's really how it should be. So Rakesh and others, where do we go from here? And, and, and I'm thinking a little bit about a paper that I saw this past June in the Annals of Thoracic Surgery. Robert Said and his colleagues published a pro-con debate on who should be managing the cardiac surgery patient in the ICU. Was it the surgeon or the intensivist? And you would think after all the years that, you know, the three of you, for instance, have been, you know, investing in this, in this field, it's surprising that this paper is even being published. The answer is yes. <laughs> well, well, fair enough. But anyway, let me, let me let me say this. I mean, care models do vary considerably from hospital to hospital, regardless of what country you're in. And so, Rakesh, what are your thoughts? Let's start with you, and then maybe yeah. we'll go around the table a little bit. I mean, what is the best model? Yeah, so I think where I've always thought myself to have a strength is really having dual citizenship. And I think that does bear some fruit. However, you know, as I get older and grayer, I've had an opportunity to work with a number of different colleagues with different backgrounds. And I think it's more about having a specific focused and engagement with these patients and the complexity and really dedicating your part of your career towards these patients rather than it being an and also is probably more important than the actual phenotype of the person coming into the unit. I think by all of us work with a multidisciplinary team as part of our group of practitioners in the ICU, whether it be surgery, anesthesia, emergency medicine, ID, uh, we have some really great people back in Winnipeg or and, and not that what would say a traditional critical care background or what had not been anymore that cardiac surgery had been in the past. So I, I must say I care much less about who, but rather what skill set you bring and what investment you bring into taking care and advancing the care of these patients. And in pedagogy, how are we training the next generation? How do we make, and I think this is the, the vision I would like for us to walk away from this uh, as we go forward is, you know, how do we make cardiac critical care or perioperative cardiac management as important as learning the latest techniques in robotic mitral or uh, mini AVRs. And the, the, the benefit we provide potentially in that space is equal, if not greater, to the technical expertise that has to happen in the operating room. And this bears out from you know various phase of care mortality analyses by seminal papers like Shannon and others. So I think really focusing on how we can work collaboratively as a team, but also train people that have a dedicated focus in this space is increasingly important. We've all done this sort of out of you know desire, perhaps, uh, or other 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 reasons. But the the trying to make this a legitimate sub specialization where people go in this as a dedicated focus of training at early stages, just starting. I think we're just starting to see some people now in both the Canada and U.S. embracing this philosophy. So that's where I, I think we should go. We need to really focus on training the future generation, providing the mechanism to be trained well and bring different expertise from different specialties into our units. Ramit, you were going to say something. I echo what Rakesh is saying. You know, several years ago, when I was doing my fellowships and mechanical support and heart failure, surgery, and transplant, it became very clear to me that patients don't die in the operating room anymore. It's an extraordinarily rare event. And to that end, we know that what you do in the operating room makes a big difference to how patients recover or whether they recover at all. But there's a lot that can be done in the perioperative care, preoperatively, cardiac enhanced recovery, and ICU care that will affect their outcomes. There is a lot. 
And I hope that, and I spoke to this at the last CSCS meeting as well, as you'll recall, that I, I hope that we can in, continue to encourage people to to recognize that in terms of younger trainees as they come forward and provide the opportunity and the infrastructure for them to actually embrace that philosophy as well. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And I think this isn't a black and white solution. This is an all-encompassing solution. And it is amazing that we're still having these discussions, though, and, you know, 13, 15 years later that it's being published as editorials in the annals. This is the argument. I, I, I do find that remarkable in its own right, that there's still a need to have this debate. Yeah. And but you know what, if you think about other aspects of cardiac surgery and, you know, our resistance to adopting things like multiple arterial grafting or minimally invasive approaches to mitral surgery, for instance, and on and on and on, it's not surprising, actually. Perhaps you're really. Yeah, maybe I'm being too naive about it. We should be, but maybe we're not. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, regardless, I think you just got to keep keep pushing it. So, all right. So, Joanna, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to reflect back over your almost 20 year career, and 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 would you say that your critical care journey has met your vision? I mean, have you accomplished as much as you would have hoped? And I guess would you do it all over again? What, Joanna? Let's start with you. I would definitely do it. Absolutely, I would do it again. I think critical care training has changed the way I plan operations and the way I operate. It's a great skill set that I use often while I'm in the OR. And I think in a group of surgeons, having one that has interest in the ICU to, to discuss with intensivists may be a way to build a team that has the skill set from intensivists and cardiac surgeons. Having both trainings is very rich. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have both. And frankly, operating gives me a very complete perioperative vision. So it, it makes me a better perioperative intensivist. So both skill sets are helping me uh, when I'm doing the other job. So I, I enjoy speaking both languages and learning from my surgical and IC colleagues. So I hope I will continue doing both for a long time. Yeah, I love that concept, being a multilinguist. Gurmeet, what do you think? There is absolutely no question that I would do this again in a heartbeat. The only thing I would perhaps change in my approach to the, the past 20 years would have been to connect with uh, Rakesh and Yoan and yourself even earlier in the journey. Because as I said, you know, this is something that has sort of lingered in the back of my mind and it takes time for these things to evolve, and it's it's been a joy. It's been filled with challenges. It's been filled with learning, and there's some very natural things that cardiac surgeons who are critically care trained can do. For example, nowadays in critical care, the great interest is, and also on the cardiology side, but for different organ systems, is mechanical support, whether it's for cardiac support or cardiopulmonary support or pulmonary support that's our wheelhouse. We do that every single day. And so there are these areas where we are well-suited to emerge as leaders and there are opportunities for young people for the future. A lot of great stuff happening in this space. So, Rikesh, I'm going to give you the final word. Yeah, I don't want to be an echo chamber, but I, you know, honestly, I would do this almost exactly the same way over again. I really enjoyed my cardiac surgery years as a trainee and then going on to do critical care with an excellent program in Calgary. And the opportunity Al Menkes gave me in, in Winnipeg to do all three initially, doing research and 
ICU and surgery. I think I really had to do surgery for the first few years of my practice to prove that I could make that conversion from training to attending and be successful at that part of it and walk away when I wanted to walk away. And I've been very comfortable with that decision. I think that if I had to do it all over again, I'd probably do the exact same thing again if I had the opportunity. Yeah. And I think, you know what, there's other colleagues of ours who, you know, obviously we didn't have a chance to invite for this particular podcast, but who've been working with us over the years through CanCare, whether it be Dave Nagpal and others, you know, they're, I, th I think they would say the same thing. I think it's just, it's, I benefited hugely, even without the formal critical care training to be affiliated with you three and, and to learn from you three. And, and I think it's made me a, a better cardiac surgeon for sure. Well, look, as a cardiac surgeon and as president of the Canadian Society of Cardiac Surgeons, uh, I would like to thank each and every one of you for your leadership and vision. And I think you've changed the practice of cardiac surgery for the better, and, sh and we should all be grateful for that. And once again, I would like to thank our sponsors, Edwards Life Sciences and the production team at Bang Albino for bringing us all together. That about wraps it up for the latest edition of the CSCS Beat, More Than Just Matters of the Heart. Stay tuned for more podcasts in the near future. Hope to see you guys soon.